Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we're doing something a little different. I brought back Ali Dalla and Zahir Morali from previous episodes to have a little roundtable discussion about how large tech companies are pushing into FinTech and healthcare at the same time. So we're going to explore a number of companies, including Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Tencent, you name it. Hello, Ali and Zahir. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And actually, I think you guys are my first second timers. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So uh, for those of you who haven't uh, listened to the Zahir Morali or Ali Dalla episodes of FinTech Impact, they're two of the more popular ones. I suggest you go back. But today's a little bit different. Instead of talking about business that they're working on, we're going to talk about basically how larger incumbents in non-financial spaces are starting to push into the FinTech world and what the impact of that's going to be. So um Basically, we're just gonna. I'm gonna go down a number of names, and we're gonna talk about what they've done and get comments. So, everybody's favorite company to hate, Facebook. <laughs> Can get to why we hate them <laughs> later. But more recently, they recently announced a project called Libra, a cryptocurrency, looking to get in the transaction space. Thoughts? Who wants to go first? I'll take a stab. I think uh, it's interesting to see. I mean, you'll see what they've done recently as well in the space. They started to take off the limiters on ads and stuff in the crypto space, right? Yeah. So they're starting to approach this in a very different way than what they did before. Mm-hmm. A little concern in the past around speculation, et cetera. And even their approach to it mm-hmm. has been around stabilizing what has been a pretty speculative currency play. Well, they wouldn't right? need that. They're so looking at a, they're yeah. looking at a basket, right? They're looking at pegging the value of what they've got to a basket. Well, so that's the big yeah. difference in what they're doing versus just what everybody else. Everybody else is looking at a coin based on a blockchain, but it has its own value and it'll ride up and down based on speculation in the market. They're doing something different. They're looking at a basket of different cryptocurrencies inside there Mm -hmm. and basing it off of that so that you can transact inside that market with a more stable currency, stable value. So that if you are actually exchanging stuff between merchants, partners, friends, whatever, you know that what you're getting today or what you're sending at today will have that close to that same value tomorrow. Not what happens today in no, the market, yeah. which is it could be down 20% tomorrow. Yeah, we, we don't need the old joke of, uh, right. you know, what was this joke? Kid goes to his dad, dad can have a Bitcoin. Dad replies back, $10,000 is a lot of money, son. What do you need $12,000 for? You know what? $8,000 isn't growing. <laughs> I love how that's an old joke. <laughs> Bitcoin's been out how long? Yeah. Well, it's the thing. It's an old joke for crypto. You got to measure right. everything in weeks. <laughs> All right. Ali, your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, there's a few chasms at play. So on the one hand, I think it's a diversification move from a revenue stream perspective. Well, they have where, to. Yeah, that makes a lot right, of sense. Right? You have 99.8% of Facebook revenue comes from advertising. And when you hear government government politicians talking about trying to break apart the empire that you know companies like Facebook have built out, yeah. they need to create tangential revenue streams to deliver capital back to investors. And I think that the long-term play of keeping an ecosystem tied in with a currency makes a lot of sense as a hedge bet. So I look at it as, as not only a great moat for them to try to create, but you look across the world at what China's done, and I'm sure we'll get into yeah, China. We'll get it's a really great parallel model for them to hold an ecosystem. Uh, and that's a very lucrative, but also a very dangerous place to play. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, as a friend of mine said, when this was announced, he, his exact words were, well, you, we've proven you can't trust us with your personal data, but you can trust us with your money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the <laughs> We can go on for days about that one. But the I agree with you. I think the, the really, when it comes down to it, they're just an advertising company at this point. And they've, advertising has been driven by media, which, of course, has been manipulated and, of course, leads to all the negative impacts. And if the more, they can move away from that, 
And that actually what people don't realize is they've edged into this because they launched marketplaces less than two years ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you have people already transacting physical goods in the real world on their platform. And then meanwhile, now we can, they can connect both ends yeah. and basically actually be the monetary. I mean, it's not, you know, there's another part to this, which is they could have done this with just straight fiat currency, right? And yeah. the choice here is a little bit around, look, digital goods, digital currencies. So yep. there's, there's that play. There's the, I don't have to peg to a basket of fiat currencies. Like I'm going to something like this. I right. can transact globally. So there's a whole bunch of things at play here. The other thing, I just don't know how much of this is a mechanism for me to monetize something that I'm giving them. So I don't know how much of this now starts to play into, can I have a profile that is really, really private and I get nothing for it? Mm -hmm. Or I expose certain parts of my data or certain parts of my activity and so, and so on and start to get paid and, and monetize yeah. some I of mean, those I mean, that's one of the promises of crypto is the ability for us to actually benefit ourselves mm -hmm. from our personal data. Although they've got every incentive to not do that because they're monetizing 100% of our personal data now. So, but how long is that going to last? I that's think that's the thing. Question. I think the, the thing is if they're heading down the path of being broken up or being regulated around these things, exactly, if yeah. they start to position this as, hey, no, no, we're giving users the option of how to monetize that and mm -hmm. share in that then that starts to take some of the heat off of some of the things. Like it doesn't give you a free license to do anything, yeah. but it does start to change the dialogue to, hey, look, it's sort of the open data version 100%. of open banking yeah, I mean, and so it on. Could be the, it's the footsteps into something that could be far more robust in terms of a security system for everything they're working on. But you know, you, you alluded to it because it was on our cheat sheet, but uh, Ali, uh, so it was, it was the WeChat aspirations. And I got to tell you, you know, I feel like all over, over the years, I feel like Mark Zuckerberg would sell his part of his soul again to become the WeChat of the rest of the world. And for those of you who don't know what WeChat is, WeChat, picture every social network rolled into one into a chat function in China that also transacts currency. Yeah. Like the, the size, Tencent is one of the world's largest companies now simply because actually the top 10 largest off of that one application. And, and Messenger initially was with their early foray into, and a lot of people in North America are trying to basically capture that same kind of utility, but no one's done it yet. And Messenger was their first effort. Ali, thoughts? Yeah, I think the Messenger play, just like most tech companies, there requires a customer acquisition model. And so mm. chat was a very natural way for them to break into a very difficult space in terms of user acquisition at scale. Their daily active users is a billion. So now when you start to monetize even a percentage point of transaction layer, it equates to hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that even if we look back to Facebook and where Facebook is trying to go, WeChat, when they first started out, I mean, it was a 50-year vision statement that they had put together, right? And it, I feel like that only happens in China where you have totalitarian regimes <laughs> where they think in like hundred, like yeah, multi-decade. Yeah, I mean, it's dynasty, long. right? Yeah, I think really dynasties. Is. And I think if you're if you're planning from a strategic perspective around data monetization, let alone user monetization, starting with a go-to-market on chat, if you don't take a 20, 30, 40-year lens, it's very difficult to put a cohesive strategy together. And what they've shown is that the power of data across an ecosystem that's tied together is unbreakable. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right there. I mean, when Apple, I think, tightened up restrictions on use of WeChat or something like that in China, they basically, their sales dropped like a rock because it doesn't matter. The fun, what, WeChat is far more important. The utility is far more important than the actual underlying hardware you're using. So they learned their lesson very quickly. There's two things on that though. One is, the lack of a mature banking market in those regions. So you look yeah. at India and penetration India, like yeah. it, the reason Messenger won't take off the way it has that WeChat would have is the bulk of its user base up until that point was in developed markets where yeah. there were developed banking models and developed banking infrastructure. So where you've got to interact like we do here and we're huge users yeah. of it, we're unlikely to use something else like that because it's not the same. Although I am envious of their unified messaging platform versus North America where literally iMessage 
sorry, iMessage, whatever the heck Google's got these days, because they keep on changing it. I don't even know what it is mm -hmm. now. Skype, it's SMS, mm -hmm. like, yeah. Well, and I think I think that comes with that vision. I think that comes with that vision. The, the, exactly. the contrarian thing on that is I don't think it's just, you know, linked to totalitarian, like you like you mentioned. I think Norway did the same thing around diversification from oil. Like I think that's if you true. have yeah. people that think in really long term as opposed to quarters. Yeah. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. a function of markets, that's a that's function true. of how we raise and think about money and growth is go public. Every yeah. conversation, go public, and this is what you're able to do. You're able to raise money and, and yeah. do this, but you don't realize what you give up in I mean, terms of the future of the business. Belt and Road Initiative and the, the long-term thinking that that is. You're talking about infrastructure for the next century. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So, And I think they take a lot of inspiration from their heritage. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you, if you think about the first feature that was built on top of chat, it was red envelopes digitally yes. that really powered their growth. Yeah. And I think it was in their first pilot experiment, 20 million red envelopes mm -hmm. were sent off of their first 100 million users. Yeah. And so they had a 20% conversion of a feature wow. that ended up becoming the catalyst yeah. for all of the ecosystem development underneath that because they're like, holy crap, we can actually move money across this, this ecosystem, monetize off of it. What else can we layer on? Yeah. And then it became, I think, this really right. great- You got to renew your driver's license on it. Like oh, it's yeah. just- We keep trying to get people to do easy. new things. Yeah. Instead of taking what are existing cultural norms and digitizing those things, we keep yeah. trying to find a new way to do something, use a new platform. And that from a user customer acquisition standpoint, it's acquisition and behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to get enough people on it and then enough people using it, something new entirely to actually make this work. A lot of inertia. And yeah. well, I think what they did brilliantly was giving the consumer some something that they trusted from a brand and messaging perspective. It's like, how could WeChat do me wrong if I'm doing a tradition? Well, yeah, so it exactly. automatically built trust. It was very. It was a market. yeah. It's, it's it's a cultural paradigm that just got transferred to the digital ecosystem. It's it's quite. It was honestly, there's very few things to say negative about. We we weren't going to go into WeChat to Tencent too much, but yeah. And just jumping ahead there, the reality too is that they have something called TenPay, which is a PayPal competitor as well. So they are they are very firmly entrenched in the financial ecosystem of of China. So moving back to North America, before we do, I got a trivia question for both of you. It's a couple of questions. First of all. What is arguably the world's largest hedge fund? Two, where is it located? And three, why? World's largest yes. hedge fund. This is a tough one. Yeah. It's Most people, so the traditional yeah. thinking is Bridgewater. Yeah, Bridgewater, but it's not. You know, it's not. It can't so, be. It'd be too easy. Of an yeah. It's too easy. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a loose definition, right? So it basically just basically, it's all about restrictions on investing. Brayburn Capital. Huh. Do you I, any, I would have not ever guessed Do you that. have any idea who they are? What is a Brayburn? Great question. It's an Apple. Really? They <laughs> are the company. They are the company. Oh, that's your question about the cash hoard. Apple's cash hoard. Oh, yeah. They are located in Nevada, in, in Reno, Nevada. You know why? Because it's on the border to California and taxes are far lower in right. Nevada than they are in California. So it's the closest they can get to headquarters without having to pay a lot more. So Do they have to be close to headquarters? Close enough, I guess. Really? I mean, you know, maybe, you Just know, when, when, when- Suitcase of cash over the, is that, is that why? Like, well, why when, would you need to be- Well, Cook wants your presence, you know, <laughs> that's the end of it, right? Like snap your fingers, you're there. So moving on to the world's suit <laughs> to Apple, that was my parlay to Apple. They have been very interestingly slowly getting into this space. So the first launch, of course, was Apple Pay. So the fact that you can pay for things using their own online ecosystem that would basically take it off your credit card, then pushed into Apple Pay Cash, which was basically your own ability to store money on your, on your phone, which has still not hit Canada, much to my chagrin. And Apple Pay credit card recently, or the Apple credit card recently in partnership with Goldman Sachs, I believe. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, which basically integrates a lot of really cool mint.com-like features into it. So let's talk about where Apple's going there. Uh, Zuri, start last time, we'll let Ali go first. Yeah, I think Apple, again, I'm gonna use the term ecosystem. 
do a brilliant job, even in their hardware software, of yeah. building moats around their technology mm-hmm. that, again, are very difficult to disintermediate. And I think what they've done is they've created a generation of buyers irrelevant of the product. So Absolutely. for me personally, at the age of 32, there is no product that I desire more than an Apple product. It's beautiful. It fits the lifestyle. It's quote unquote, think different. So when you think about financial services, I'm their core customer for the next 50 years. Yeah. And they've already built the brand loyalty, trust and desire of a consumer. So why wouldn't I take one more step further and offer you every service a la Amazon? I think it's the same, same, but different. Yeah. where they've tied beautiful ecosystems together, created an immense amount of consumer data and understanding, layered on top of that brand trust. The world's are oyster from here. They can build a car and I'll be the first in line to buy it tomorrow. And they're working on that. I've but the, uh, <laughs> but, the uh, but I think the trust is the big part. I mean, they get something, um, oh, who is it from Shitekri? Um Oh, his name is Liz me. Anyway, so one commentator refers to them as strategy credits. Essentially, they have become the company for trust in technology, right? And because of that, I mean, money is not as big a hop as it is for some other players, right? And I look at these, just everything they do just removes friction. I, I specifically, typically browse everything on Chrome, but if I had to buy something, I'm flipping over Safari so that I can use Apple, Apple Pay. Pay. Mm. Yeah, so here. Um, it's just interesting. I find that it's the one part of the ecosystem that's not a premium product. So Apple has made their thing on premium things like a MacBook costs more than what typical lap, lap, uh, laptops did. The phone, the phone's more expensive. So they, they get insane market share on a dollar basis, but like we know, like not, not the most on volume, et cetera. We've seen that. It's interesting that they've got this one, which is again, sort of the utility play. It's not a premium thing. They're only be charging more for it. In fact, they're slashing fees and doing all kinds of things. So there's got to be more to this than what we're seeing in terms of just that utility component. So what else are they going to be on? Because it's not going to be just the Mint thing. Like I think all of us have tried Mint, we've done stuff with that. Yeah. That's not what the secret thing Agreed. is here. It's interesting because it's, it's, it's a very it's a very clever, They're as I said, they're terminating their way into this. Like mm-hmm. they're slowly taking little steps and you wonder what is in that 10 year mm-hmm. horizon for them. on the It could be around side. powering retail. So mm-hmm. there's interesting kind of things of if you've got people using these cards and you've got more of them, like how does that drive retail consumption, mm-hmm. retail partners, maybe retail partners pay for this. Yeah. I don't know where this thing goes from here other than if you've got out of everyone in the room, like five and a hundred or whatever, have their iPhone 10 and a hundred. Like, I don't know what the, the number is, but it's not much more than that that have an iPhone. So they're the ones using this card if everyone gets one. It's not like the whole world's gonna go out and buy the whole Apple ecosystem to have access to this thing. So mm-hmm. what are you gonna do with five or 10 people and data on five or 10 people when everyone's got access to the other 80 or 90? So what's, and then that's the piece that I'm struggling with on this. I like it from a personal standpoint, like Ali does, I want the product, yep. but I'm struggling with, the, you know, yeah, where's the, the next leg on this one yeah. for them? Is it, this is a, a foray, like a little stake in the ground into more financial services. They're going to broaden and expand that pool. Yeah. And that's the idea. Or where do they take it from here? I don't know if you I mean, got... I've got a very simple use case that I think could be an interesting retail hybrid. So mm-hmm. for example, uh, I've got an iPhone. I'm a 19, 20 year old consumer uh, that has no credit, right? So I'm going through my first yeah, experience. True. And I've now started to build a credit rating, credit score with an Apple because they understand what I browse. They understand where I shop. They yep. now understand basically where I'm at what my conversations are like, what type of language I use, all of a sudden creating a new type of risk profile. And now when I want to move up market to buy that $3,000 laptop, they're very easily willing to give me some sort of credit line because they already understand me as a consumer. They want to lock me into the ecosystem for the next 10 years as a buyer. And so I think this, to your point, is a great way for them to move down market and actually spread a little bit wider to create a funnel up market for potentially hardware. 
And that becomes a really interesting, you know, challenger bank mentality almost. True. I mean, you think about the size of the cash hoard and you start thinking about both transactions and interest on a fractional reserve amount. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what the cash hoard's at now. It's enough to buy entire countries. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, you hold back even 10 points of that. And for those of you who don't know what fractional reserve banking is, it's you hold on to 10, you lend out 90. People are going to give you some of that back. You then hold on to 10 of that and end up 90. And next thing you know, you have 10 times the amount of money lent out and you're taking a slice off all of it. I mean, it just staggers the mind. I think the big holdback for them is regulation. I mean, you know, they're not keen on, I don't think anyone's keen on starting a bank in any country, but if they can piggyback with partnerships like they did off the credit card. Yeah. I mean, this is a classic kind of competition kind of piece, right? So yeah. you work with a partner to do this. So 100%. Bell and Telus here on Towers. Um, yeah. Toyota and uh, was it Honda on, on certain powertrain kind of components. So you're seeing yeah. that now and you'll see this year. Not, and they're direct competitors now in this space. So Amazon and Google and Apple are all competitors with the banks in this space. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time before we start to see banks become the utility provider underlying all these things. There'll be some banks that still have brands that yeah. resonate and matter. Yeah. But the play for most of these guys in banking today, whether it's in Canada, there is infrastructure. Yeah. Can you be the utility that provides us? Can you be the utility on wealth management, the one on banking that provides products, a broad range of niche providers who want to own and run a brand that provides financial services, but without all the headache of the cap requirements, the, the regulatory and everything else. It's interesting. We've talked about that on the show before about the Copernican revolution in banking. And it almost, it's, it's kind of similar to say the business model the Virgin has been espousing for God knows how long, right? They go and slap their brand over whatever else's product or everybody else's company. Like how many, how many countries do they have cell phone service mm -hmm. in? Mm -hmm. Do they actually own a single tower? No. Right. So, you know, I think, I think it's the beginning of a trend where we're going to start to see more of that kind of like unique value proposition around, around individual needs and individual desires marketed to them with, like you said, as someone else's infrastructure. And not super highly regulated for them as well, right? So even their, their plane business, like it's leased planes and stuff like that. So you're yeah. not owning a lot of instruction, opening a lot of capital exactly. against that. Regulatory is the big one now. So the hurdle, the cost of doing that is far greater than probably the capital need to put up yeah. for some of these ones. No one wants to be in that space. It's, it's, it's going to be, but it's, it's going to be a lot to build, but man, it's going to be a big, big play for somebody. So moving on to next big player, Google. So Google and their side, they really have been a little bit slow on the fintech side, in my opinion. They did it put into place Google Pay actually before Apple Pay was there. I can't remember what they called it then. But they also specifically, Google Ventures has come out saying, saying they are specifically looking at fintech startups as on the whole right now. And uh, in Alphabet, there's yet to be a full letter that means anything to do with fintech. I'm <laughs> waiting for that day. So, uh, Zier, you're up. I don't know. I, th I think they probably struggle with some of the same things that Facebook does around data and usage and cost. They've been able to and dodge privacy. the, yeah, they've yeah. been able to dodge this for a while yeah. because Facebook has been so prominent. Like yeah. it's been the lightning rod for all of it. But I think a lot of people feel the same way around Google. I think the trusted names around financial services yeah. are the PayPal's of the world. Like if you look at where people actually put that trust, it's PayPal well, well before things like Google oh, and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see them now start to go into this space. They have looked at payments. I'm just not sure some of these markets are as big or as easily accessible for them as they would like at this stage. Payments is the space right now that they're all playing in because it's the most accessible. It's the one that drives most most closely to the business that they currently have. Yep. It's the easiest one to approach. But the other ones outside of that, so lending yep. for them. So that's, that's a, a really tough space. I don't see... I think Facebook did some stuff around lending and origination, um, and, so you know, not, you yeah. know, not as big as they would like wealth management is still very difficult. That's an advisor driven space still. 
So I think that's a challenge for them. Anywhere that they don't see a near-term ability to disintermediate human kind of exchange, et cetera, is a tough space. I, I agree with you. It's core of their DNA that they're basically like get people out of the way of everything. Yeah, right? and that last mile. So yeah. if I can get down to that last mile and and displace that, then I'm really into that market because it's a really it, quick switch. It's funny you say that because they've had a really hard time crossing the last mile when they've tried. Like even with Google Fiber, has been a complete fiasco, right? Like they they were like, oh, if we can just get high-speed internet to everybody's house at a reasonable cost, yet meanwhile. You know, they've done a fraction of what they hoped they would. Ali? Yeah, I think the, the construct of corporate labs, whether they're innovation or acceleration, are really two or threefold. So on the one hand, for the startup, it gives you a unique set of skills and access mm -hmm. that you ne never would have otherwise. So for example, in the Google, Google system, you'd get access to, I'm sure, all the cloud infrastructure that they can provide and all of the great brain trust behind the machine learning and their AI teams, which I think is a great benefit for early stage companies who want to work in large corporate accelerators. On the flip side, it gives a, a team like Google an absolute lead gen tool mm -hmm. into what the future of it's industries true. could look like at a fraction of the cost. They get to observe, observe and absorb all the learnings that happen with these great technology teams and eventually become the sole acquirer of the companies that they've now helped to fund and found. And mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting model when you can have a rounding error of $100 million <laughs> and you can now launch a lab. Yeah. Yeah attract in the world's best because everybody knows Google and everybody wants to work with them as a startup. The world's best talent is now going to be putting some sort of brain power towards building companies to disintermediate, disrupt, whatever the flavor of the week term is. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a lead generator. And mm -hmm. I think it's a soft way for them to explore markets that they wouldn't have either core competencies of or would be divergent from a core strategy. So innovation can be a very nice brush mm -hmm. towards, I just want to learn some stuff. And I just want to tick a box. Yeah. And some funds or some corporations use it as a really nice strategic moat to the future. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I got to tell you, I got mixed feelings about Google all the time because the number of early stage Google like experiments I've been on, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then they shutter it and like, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's not get started there. Were you but, one of the first ones at Google Plus? Uh, Google Plus? <laughs> I, I, I was on first day and I never went back. Google Wave, though, was, it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Although that eventually ended up becoming, um, they left and started Quip, actually, and switched yeah. Salesforce bot. And it's interesting. So they have a very big parallel to, to, to Facebook in a couple of instances. One is the privacy issue. I mean, they invented surveillance capitalism. And more recently, Sandra Pichai has signaled a change in that attitude, although I don't know how they do that with this, without disrupting their core revenue model. It's words, it's words today. I think yeah, I mean, he I think said, there's... his comment about uh, privacy can't be a luxury good at a shot at Apple. It's like, dude, you're the guys who invented <laughs> surveillance capitalism. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And, you know, the, again, their, their revenue is almost 99% well, revenue, the profit all comes from advertising, right? So you talk about another company that's really eager to diversify their, their, um, their revenue source. It's Google. So moving on to uh, Microsoft, the uh, the company that was saved by, uh, oh, why am I struggling on names today? Sachin Adela. Sachin Adela, thank you. Okay. We can play videos. Of was that one of the trivia questions? That was one of the trivia questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I always say that because it's an impressive turnaround. <laughs> they have been, again, they're more of an enterprise player in the background with most of these things. But basically, they partnered with BlackRock recently to create some sort of platform for sale, the sale of variable annuities in the US. Uh, complicated market, a large market, and uh, let's see what everybody thinks. So, Alec. Yeah, I just think again, to your point about diversification, it's another way for them to learn with a great strategic partner, mm -hmm. and they're bringing an absolute skill set to the table that the other partner won't have. And I think that the more partnerships that we see at these macro levels should be good, clear indicators of how the world's evolving. And this whole point about just because you play on one soccer pitch and I play on a, on a football field doesn't mean we can't work together, train together and learn together. And I'm not sure what the end state of all of this is, 
but I can tell you for certain that with the amount of revenue that's sitting just untapped in their user base at the age demographic, let's remember when search came out, when Google took over search and now it's like a word. Um, and you move into now where Microsoft lives and tries to reinvent themselves. They've got to create themselves over inside out. And they've been doing that and they've done a wonderful job. They have fantastically. But this, this is the interesting difference between those two camps. So take Apple and Microsoft and take Google and Facebook. Apple and Microsoft have done partnerships with big strategic enterprise companies. Yes. Google and Facebook haven't done that. They've gone and tried to go, I think direct for the market, most part, yeah, to down to the venture and the yeah. startup kind of side, right? So these guys have gone, I want experience, expertise in this industry. We're going to play in the enterprise space. Our customer acquisition is at this level versus what the... And anything to some extent, Amazon's done that now on the healthcare side. We'll get there. Uh, so so there's, there's that kind of piece of it as well, right? So interesting kind of different approach to how they target that market in terms of in the enterprise. Microsoft story has been great. Like to want to use a Microsoft product to actually feel yeah. like I'm going to fire up an iPad and go to Outlook on my iPad yeah, instead it's of it's crazy instead of the native app. That is. It's so yeah. different to what I would have thought yeah. five years ago. I'm, I'm, still, of, I'm still a little bit disappointed that they're still behind like things like Google Sheets in terms of functionality online. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's brutal. I'm like, I wonder what's going on there. But yeah, but I think I think the flip side of it is everything that you need to do inside an enterprise, Google Sheets kind of for a lot of people falls down on a lot of those things. Not a lot of them. I mean, so, things like mail merges and stuff like that. It's difficult. It, I mean, very, very hard to an enterprise still. for a long time. It's I still prefer it. Yeah. But, it's, you know. but it's insane that, you know, works on everything, yeah. works everywhere, updated. It, the, the, well, that the, was the a strategy, qualities. right? It went from Windows, 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 Palmer, uh, to, yeah. to we don't care where you are, we're going to meet you, which is yes, the way right. to do it. But I think the contrast, and you made a very good point about how those four companies are, are different in two different yeah. camps. But the difference being Apple will always slap their logo first. And, you know, going back to the Steve Jobs and you know Canon wanted to have the logo with with Apple like yeah, no you can be on the inside you're not yeah. on the outside mm-hmm. the Apple will always be the front end right it will always be an Apple branded product whereas Microsoft is content to say hey BlackRock you got a huge brand in this space we're just gonna be the background player I mean if you look at everything they're doing now everything's about infrastructure mm-hmm. in the background right so the Azure platform I mean even you're starting to see almost a disaggregation of um, of Office to some yeah. degree with what they're trying to accomplish with Teams, right? Just like live in this one tool and it'll do everything. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is their this is exactly how they operate yeah. the yeah. software. They do unbundling, they bundle, they unbundle, they <laughs> rebundle. Who was it who said that first? I'm not sure, okay. but I know that they've done this yeah. for the last yeah. two decades, <laughs> and it's it's worked for them. So why break the mold? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They lock you in. They, again, they lock you in as a group. Then they show you the value of working as an individual. Then you pull, they pull you back together to a single platform to do all. So. And maybe don't discount the BlackRock Microsoft hookup as anything more than just scale and, and stuff for Azure, right? Like there's there's an element of, hey, look, if we do something together there, what more can we do to sell infrastructure rather than I really want to get in the retirement variable annuity space? I don't think that's where they went at this thing. Especially oh, when you're losing the game to Amazon as yeah. badly as they are. Yeah. Like Amazon's oh, yeah. just on the cloud computing on the cloud side, side, absolutely dominant. Oh, yeah. Well, so, they've, they've hit escape velocity. Like, yep. like yeah. escape velocity. So yeah. like it's good, good luck. But what, but what they've done, what Azure's done, what Microsoft's done in the last while has been pretty impressive for someone to come back from where they were. Because I don't think there was anyone saying oh, that. was sticking a fork in them. That was the, like, that was, yeah. you know, what we, you know, we wanted to clock back. When did, when did if we, if we, if over? we go back four or five years ago, we would have all assumed it was AWS first yeah. and it would have been Google second yeah. and then everybody That's else it. in behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure that, or, like I think today we'd look and go, Amazon gets clear out winner. Azure second, yeah, and Google's then everyone else is duking it out for what comes right. after this. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. So it was. Uh, I, w- I was pretty sure it was Mark Andreessen who said the only way to make money is to bundle on bundle, but I wasn't one <laughs> I hate misquoting people, so I checked it, and it, it, was it certainly him? was. It was Andreessen. Mm-hmm. 
I'm always uh, happy to quote him. Yeah, that makes uh, me sound a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> he's, uh, yes, he's heavily quoted. Okay, so we already said the other A, so go to Amazon. So Amazon's playing into this. Uh, Amazon Cash, you can basically keep cash on hand with Amazon and essentially use that towards purchases. And they did experiments where they basically would give you a discount on purchases if you did that. So because they can't pay interest, but they can give you a discount. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money on deposit went through the roof. So, 10 bucks on 75, right? Yeah. That's what it was. So. Exactly. And they're the, they're the first of these. Well, I wouldn't say the first. Google's done some of this, but not in the actual direct-to-consumer space or anything close to it. But of course, they partnered with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan to figure out how to fix U.S. healthcare. Uh, rightly so, because if they don't, everybody's healthcare costs are going to go crazy. So let's talk about both those. Uh, I think you started last, Ellie. So see here. So let's start with the, the cash kind of piece. So uh, who do you trust? To hold your money. I mean, out of those. So Amazon, do you trust Amazon to hold your money? Uh, more than I trust Google. <laughs> and I would argue a lot more than I trust Facebook. Facebook. I think what, so it's yeah. kind of interesting, right? They yeah. would have that. I think it's just a nice way to give access to people who may not have access to credit and things like that. And so maybe what Apple's doing in that sense, which is broadening that market of people that yeah. will buy from them because they don't have a credit card or can't access a credit card. So it's a great way to tap into some people that otherwise wouldn't shop there. Beyond that, it's not going to be a great source of income and stuff for them uh, sitting on the card. Like, it's nice. I don't think it's yeah. going to really change things dramatically. It's an experiment. Like, it was, you know, the fact that we can't pay interest, but if we can give people like 5% off or something, will they actually give us more money? Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes. And yeah. I'm just like, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of. Yeah. And I mean, it's, 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 it's a sizable number. Like, no one can really compete with that number on an interest basis. But yeah. if you combine all the stuff that they're doing, like if the, if the price is slightly higher for you, yeah. right? If you don't qualify for certain parts well, of shipping, you can use you it know, for Prime. Like there's a couple of things it, in it there. It actually reminds that me of, so, it's, so there's, there's been creative ways to get around banking restrictions all throughout history. And it actually reminds me of how the, how the, uh, the Christians got around the laws in the Bible against usury. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but you're under the Bible and under most holy books, you can't pay interest, right? The you know Muslims still listen to this mm -hmm. who are following Sharia law. But the way they got around it, it was essentially they would lend it a discount. So mm -hmm. essentially, okay, you're going to basically, you're going to buy this $100 certificate, but you're going to pay 99 for yes. it, right? So essentially the difference, the spread was how you made your quote unquote interest. But because they weren't, there was an interest rate attached to it, it was an usury. Right. Yeah. So same basic principle. They're discounting in order to basically yeah. create the same. Yeah. Here's your seventy-five dollar thing, and you're yeah. getting it for sixty-five. Yeah. And... Exactly. Yeah. Right. If if I had to guess, there is a secret mathematical equation for repeat buyer yes. behavior. I'm sure that they cracked it. And I'm very very curious to know what that is because of one thing is very clear is once I do something enough times and see value from it, I will always do it that yeah. way. And I think that for them, this is very similar to what PayPal did, where it was like, hey, send this link to a friend and they'll get $10. Yeah. And they basically bought consumers mm -hmm. at $10. And those has done the same thing. I mean, everybody's- This, this yeah. model's been, been worked really well yeah. in the past. So it's another way, I think, again, for them to lock you into behavior creation, incenting you to do so. Absolutely. And then creating behind mm -hmm. that the first step of financial services. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you, you want to know that secret formula so you can stop being a victim of it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm very happy being a victim of it. My, no. And my wife is the ultimate yeah. victim of it. Yeah. We won't tell <laughs> And then you growth strategy for the business. No, but I think, like, if you... <laughs> but if, I think if you look at the other part of this, like, you do, like, they would now have data on pools of money available for certain purchases, buyers, mm -hmm. buyer behavior, et cetera. So you've actually now got a lock on, there's X million dollars sitting in these kinds of buyers. So for these kinds of products. So I think that that's actually pretty attractive for them to kind of see and, and, mm -hmm. and, and figure that stuff out where they wouldn't have that data on that pool of people because those are folks that aren't buying that product are running around without a credit, like don't have a credit card, buying it in cash or whatever else. So it's a whole new pool mm -hmm. and you target those Amazon essentials 
to that pool. That's where they make it the bulk yeah. of the money. So it's it's a great profit play Could for be them. Another great go to market first step on their own crypto model. Yeah. Where they're just gonna consolidate, turn mm-hmm. it into Amazon dollars. Yeah. You can now take those quote unquote credits because they can now parlay a hundred dollars of USD or Canadian into whatever amount of Amazon currency they so feel because they yeah. control the currency exactly. value. So you could see a, a really nice snowball effect of how they can parlay this over mm-hmm. time. It's kind of like getting entire dollars on a digital We were ahead of our For those of you not in Canada, you're yeah, nervous about that sense. The, you probably uh, have a whole bunch sitting in your car glove box or whatever. You can no, take I actually got about. some Popeyes from when I bought, uh, <laughs> bought uh, not fried chicken, but I bought uh, Popeyes uh, nutritional sauce. Well, it's too bad because the chicken's awesome. Um, uh, back to the, back to, so back to Pop, fried chicken. Yeah. Popeyes fried chicken, you're here, you're here first. <laughs> Come up with like incentive dollars and you know, you have Jason. That, oh, <laughs> and Ali. I, I, and Ali. I mean, like, hey, we can go after this if you want. <laughs> so that was the first of two episodes with Ali Dalla and Zahir Morali, where we're looking at how large technology companies are impacting fintech. Please join us next week for the second part of this. As always, I'm Jason Pereira. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until then, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.